Um, it was really cool to have Emily hang out with me today and to read that scripture. Uh, we spent some time this week, obviously, with fall break, and I know a lot of folks are still out on fall break, which is totally cool. And uh, we decided to spend some time together, and we started out at Brown County State Park um, earlier in the week, and we went on some trails with Maggie and with Jill and with Emily and me, and we walked around, and Emily kept saying things like, you know, Daddy, I, I want some more adventure. Like, I want this to be an adventure, and she kept trying to ways to go off trail. You know, you ever do that? Kind of like go up all around trees, and she's trying to go all these ways, you know, that you're kind of like, honey, I don't think you're supposed to climb up on those rocks over there, and it, it, in Brown County, it's not too crazy, but she wanted more and more adventure as she was going, and I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, maybe, maybe we need to do some more hiking. Maybe she really likes that, and I, I enjoy hiking. My mom loves hiking, and my mom and I are the ones, and, and we started talking about this, that we are the ones who, when we go out as a family, you sort of know everybody has like their own kind of personalities about hiking, right? So my mom and I would go, and we'd you know, hit another trail, and you could kind of see you could go this way or this way. You could go back to the lodge or the parking lot, or you could go this way, and you could sort of keep going on trail 10 and 11, 12, you know, 6, whatever. And then you'd look at the map, and you'd be like, and that one is not just very rugged. It actually has very rugged little skull and crossbones next to it, you know? And so my mom and I would look at that and go, we should do that one. And then my sister and my dad would go, no, we're done. We're tired. You guys always want to do more. We just, just one. It's only a mile. Now, it's a mile of rock climbing, but it's only a mile. You know, and so we just keep pushing. We keep going. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And we just keep going and going. So I looked at, I, I called my mom and I said, listen, Emily really liked hiking. She thought it was so much fun. I said, let's, let's go hiking. If it's nice on Saturday, let's just the three of us go. Because that way we won't have anybody to hold us back. Just be the three of us. And we can just push and we can just go. And so we did. So we went over to Turkey Run. How many of you guys have been to Turkey Run State Park? Turkey Run is amazing. This is a picture of, of Emily and my mom going through. I think this is like Trail 9 or something, which is basically just a creek bed. That's all it is. And there's like rocks up each side. And if you haven't been there, Turkey Run is, it, it's incredible. Like it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. Like the, look at the rest of Indiana. And then you go to this place and you walk in. And it's, it's like a page out of time, and that's what they even say on, like, the brochure and, like, on the little suspension bridge that goes over. It says you are, you're basically walking back in time. And it says this, this place, this valley, this sort of area that's called Turkey Run, um, and I think, I think this was actually, I think it's called Rock Hollow, I think, is this part of it. I think that's right. Somebody's going to look on their iPhone, and that's fine, if you, whatever the name is. But this little part over the suspension bridge goes into this, and there's a sandstone and it's created all of these incredible valleys and these waterfalls. And there was this part, this wedge rock thing. And I swear we were in like a science fiction kind of Lord of the Rings kind of thing going on. I just, I couldn't believe it. And we tried to take pictures. And every time we'd take a picture, I'd be like, that doesn't capture it. That, that's not it. So I'd say, well, Emily, maybe if you stood here and I, like, turned the camera this way, maybe then it would capture the majesty of the, of the place. And every time I'd be disappointed. And I said, it's not possible. I cannot capture the beauty of this place with my phone. So I put it away. And I said, Emily, start taking pictures with your mind. And so we would sit there and we just kind of, we look at, and I'd say, you know how to do that, right? And she's like, no, how do you do that? And I said, well, you take your eyes and you go like that. So Emily started walking around and she's going, and everybody's kind of looking at her like, this kid's weird. And I'm like, yeah, she's mine, see? And so we're walking through, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. And 
there's a creek that runs through all this. And I remember doing this as a kid, but the creek was always too high. You couldn't, you couldn't walk through all these parts, and it was low. And so we're walking through, and I mean, we are like, we're falling, and like we're stepping into the creek, and we're all wet. And I'm like, I don't even care. This is just amazing. And then on there, on this little brochure, and then on the signs, it said things like, where you are walking is taking you back into ancient history. This is a place frozen in time. 12,000 years ago, this is what Indiana would have been like. And the climate and the wetness and the way that whole valley is sort of set up, they say at all times, it's like it was 12,000 years ago when the mastodons reigned this region. You know, it's this amazing sort of like history lesson and connection to how the world used to be. So I thought that was a great way to kind of walk into what we're talking about today. Because we started this sermon series, The Bible. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I'm going to make a a couple statements here. One is, um, I'm going to be very heavy in my notes during the series. So this time, I'm going to be very clear. I want to, exactly what I'm trying to say, I'm going to be very heavy in my notes. And I I don't want to apologize for that. I just want to make you aware of that. Um, This series, already last week, was already so much fun to get into. And we're asking all sorts of hard questions about things. And what's interesting is, I thought about that yesterday as Emily and I were talking. We were walking through the valley. We were talking about um, how all the things were made and the millions of years it took for all this stuff to make and all of that. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, there's sort of this thing within church. When you begin to talk about things like, oh, this took a million years to, to be created. Or there were mastodons here. Or how this evolved or this took place, right? Instantly, we know that within the church world, there was sort of this tension about those kind of words, and that there are different ways that people have talked about these kind of things. And you've probably felt this tension before. If you're not a church person, you've said, yeah, but what about that stuff? And and you love Jesus, you love what Jesus has to say, you like all that stuff, and then you go, but these people are crazy. Like, they believe this, this, you know, seven-day creation sort of thing. That seems kind of weird. And, you know, they look at the creation stuff, and then we have all the creation kind of things that we see around the, you know, people doing. And, and you kind of go, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Or maybe you're on the other side of this thing, and you sort of look at it, and you go, yeah, you know, I don't know that those scientists know what they're talking about. You know, maybe they're just full of baloney, and, you know, they don't have any idea, and they're just guessing it's all theory, right? You know, so, and there's sort of this kind of divide that begins to take place. And all of this kind of conversation, whether it's um, kind of this, this argument going back against science, or whether it's this sort of thing where you're a person who likes Jesus, but you kind of look and go, yeah, but I don't know if I can dive all the way into this whole creation thing, you know? Do I, do I all of a sudden, you know, do I have to get weird? Like, that's the concern, right? That's the part here. And so there's kind of this pushback. You know, do I have to switch my brain off? I don't, I don't know. You know. And then some people look at you and go, yes, you do, because it's all about faith, right? It's all about faith, guys. Come on. You're going, yeah, I don't know, right? There's kind of this tension with that. And I mean, that showed up with Emily as I was talking about it. I was trying to think, how do I talk about all of this? How do I help her to understand, yeah, this is millions of years ago, but then there's this, and she's going to start asking questions like, Ryan, or Daddy, you know, what about, what about this creation thing? How does this work? How did God create? And like, you haven't been asked those questions, right? Your kid looks at you, and they're about five, six, maybe a little bit older, and they start to look at you and ask questions of you. 
They say things like, what was before God? And you're like, I don't know. I'm going to call the pastor. And you call me, and I look at you and go, uh, that's, that's your world. That's your kid. Okay? I can guide you a little bit, but that's your kid. You, you all figure that one out. Because you know, I get the same question, and I go, oh, this is hard stuff, right? To be honest, it's tough. So here, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go into this. And, uh, and we're going to get into this today. We're, we're going to look at this whole idea of science and faith. And the reason this matters, let me, let me, let me tell you about this. This is kind of cool. It, a couple years ago, there was a study done. And it was sort of about why people had given up on church or why they're not interested in church or why church is just a complete turnoff. One of the biggest reasons that people gave for giving up on church or not wanting to be involved in church is because they said the church was anti-science. That the church was just anti-science. So let's dive into that one. Let's wrestle with that a little bit. So last week, as we started out, we looked at Genesis 1. Because I said, where should we start a conversation about the Bible? In a better place than Genesis 1. And if you didn't hear last week's conversation, I I really want to make sure you go back to the podcast and listen to it. I don't want to take the rest of my time this morning trying to rehash all of it. But it's very, very important you go back because it sort of sets up the rest of this conversation. But in that talk last week, we explained that from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, that God has invited us into interpretation. That when you look at the Hebrew, when you look at the language of the early scriptures, and again, I don't want to rehash all of it, so listen to the podcast, but that from the very beginning, there is this ability for us to interpret to hear this conversation, to be a part of that dialogue and try to understand what is being said here. Now, the way I talked about it was I said that this stool has four legs. And when we look at Scripture, we can ask hard questions. God is inviting us to ask difficult and hard questions. I promise you God can handle it. But we have to come at it a certain way. And the way we do that is I said there's four legs, and and we can use it this way. There's reason... God has given us the ability to think. We're able to process information and think. There's experience, which is sort of that place where you and I go, well, but this is what I've experienced with this. This says this, or people have thought this, but this has been my experience with it. And then there's scripture, which is an absolute essential leg that we say that people have dialogue and had conversation. People have experienced God. They've written down their experiences with God as they answered and asked these questions. And then there's tradition, which is the way that people have understood some of these things. And all of that has to sit and balance together. And what you do is you don't just jump up on top of the stool as hard as you can because you break it. You humbly sit down. So we humbly come to this asking questions. And then when you do, What I love about it is it's just a little acronym, REST. You can rest. You can go, okay, I asked hard questions. I dealt with a difficult subject. I can rest in the goodness of God. So let's go back to Genesis 1 for a minute. And let's see about this whole faith in science thing and what what, what happens here. Genesis 1, 1. You've probably heard this before. Here we go. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, last week, remember, we talked about the interpretation here, that there could be a way that that could say when God began creating. And it gets very, very interesting real quick. But let's go with the traditional way of understanding this in the beginning. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, this is where I want us to land today. Verse 6, listen to this. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. Now, this is in the beginning of what is called the creation narrative. And if we read on, we're going to find a lot more language like this in the first two chapters of Genesis. We could literally just sit here and talk about this for like a year, just sifting through these chapters. And if I, if I asked you to read these first two chapters and just, just ask questions that come up, we would have thousands of questions. And like I said last week, if I said, okay, do you have any questions about those verses? If you looked at me and said, no, I'm good, I'd say you're not being honest. You should ha- absolutely have a lot of questions about what is going on here. But today what I want to do is I want to focus on one particular set of verses, that verse 6 through verse 8. Now listen to it one more time. And if you're a church person, I've I got to tell you right now, if you grew up in church, if, if you've been around church for a while, I just need you real quick to take that little switch you got. I want you to turn that off real quick. Just take that switch of, you know, where you kind of walk through something and it's weird in the Bible, and you just go, oh, it's the Bible, it's cool. And you read on, I want you to stop and go, that's weird, we should probably talk about it, okay? So flip that switch with me here and listen to this again. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now there's a word for what is described here. Kind of the research of what we're trying to understand. This is called cosmology. It's the study of the origin and the development of the universe. And Genesis 1 can be called a cosmology. It's one way of trying to understand here. It seems to be focused on how were things made, why were, you know, when were they made, how were they made, who made them, what made them, and then we're going to get a little bit of why is this written the way it's written. Now, if you look real close at this verse, again, being honest, there is something very strange in the cosmology of Genesis 1. It doesn't really jive with the way that most of us think about the world. It doesn't jive with what we learned in science class. It doesn't jive uh, with what we even can observe today. So listen very closely one more time. Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, 
and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now, the word that gets translated vault is a Hebrew word. It looks like this. It's pronounced rakia. And we talked last week about how Hebrew is very, very hard to translate. It's very hard to interpret. Okay, there's a lot of different ways that it can be understood. And so it, it's, it's a very difficult language to understand. But this is one of those places where it's not really as unclear as other places. This is not one of those passages. Now, a lot of translations try to give this a different name for rakia, what they translate it. So here we have a vault. But older translations call it a firmament. And it's totally okay to say, okay, well, what is a firmament? What is that and why is it being described here? So I want to help you understand this in absolutely the weirdest way possible that I can. Have any of you seen the movie Biodome? Okay, I was going to show a clip of Biodome, but I asked us this morning to use reason, to use our brains, and if I show a clip from Biodome, I guarantee you we are going to get stupider just by watching this. So I'm going to invite you to not go home and watch this movie because it's so terrible. But I'm going to do my best at describing it the, the best that I can because it's just awful. So basically what happens is that Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin, and I already feel dumber, are on this kind of road trip, and they see this mall off to the side of the road. And they go to check out this mall to go to the bathroom. And what they don't realize is that they're actually walking into an experiment that's a closed-off area from everything else in the world. And it's basically just a big, giant glass dome. And it separated everything else around the world from them just in this little glass dome. Now that is the best way to describe what the firmament is about. And it's actually the best way to describe how ancient people understood how the world worked. Now, how crazy is this that Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin, they're making this movie, had no idea that they're actually going back to the ancient way that people understood the world. See that? It's like Encino Man. It just works. And so they're describing this kind of firmament. And what's cool about this is that this was passed down in creation stories. And, and, and this is really cool. This idea of this dome that sort of covered the earth is found throughout almost every culture in the entire world. There's a Japanese tradition about that they would shoot these arrows and the arrows would pierce the firmament. Uh, There's another uh, about the Babylonians, and we'll get to this at some point, that the Babylonian people had this theory that Marduk destroyed his enemies and he took their bodies and he turned their bodies into the firmament that held up everything. It's very fascinating, just crazy kind of cultural understanding of things. But this is what's being described here, is a firmament, a glass dome. And literally, there's no other way to really look at this but to say, this was an understanding. There was this earth that kind of went like this, a little flat earth, sort of like some people on Twitter like to talk about. 
And then there was a glass dome that sort of went, or kind of a, some kind of dome, something that opened up over the top of it. Now, what this looked like was this. So there was the ocean of heavens. Now what? It's beautiful out today. What does that look like that's up in the sky? What does it look like? What's the blue stuff up there look like if you didn't have any idea? Water. Right? It looks like water. If you looked above into the sky and you saw what was up here, you would say, there's water. And then you would know, because you live near an ocean, that there's water below. So the ancient people in the ancient Near East and cultures around the world, when they looked at the world, they saw waters above the earth and the waters below. And they believed that something was holding all of this up. Now, here's where this gets uncomfortable. See, we're uncomfortable with this because we have been led to believe that the ancient biblical, biblical description of the world has to be compatible with the scientific understanding that we know today. So let me say that again. We've been led to believe that the ancient biblical description of the world has to be compatible with our scientific understandings that we have today. So we get two options then, right? With the first option, we have this. We can ignore the Bible and embrace science, or we can embrace the Bible and ignore science. These are the two options that apparently we have before us. And, I'm, and I want to be very clear about this. I had a conversation with somebody, and they said, well, there's different ways of understanding, different ways of reading it, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, in a lot of places, that, that is true. I said, but these couple of verses are so incredibly clear. This Hebrew word, rakia, is not used for anything else. When you use it, you compare it across cultures and how it... Under, this is absolutely what is being described here. We kind of go, what do you do with that? Because it's wrong, Right? And if it's wrong, then everything begins to fall apart and the whole thing crumbles. And this is sort of what everybody says is, see your questions, start asking questions, the whole thing falls apart, and then I'm going to throw the Bible out and just get rid of it because it can't work, and my faith is dead, and I should just walk off the stage and be finished with this, right? That's what tends to happen. And there was a part of me, I said, when I was in college, that there are passages that I read that I felt like that. And I just wanted to go, I'm done. This makes no sense at all. Right? Because I grew up with this story in Sunday school. We had things on the wall that we took pictures of it. And, you know, we pasted these things up. And we said, this is how it was made and all this stuff. And we never asked ourselves any questions. I never took the time to ask the questions. And then had this moment of faith where I just said, ugh, what do you do with this? I told you last week, what you have to do is you take your left hand that wants to take the Bible and wants to just toss it out the window and go, I'm done. This doesn't make any sense. You take this other hand of experience reality of grace, the thing that we all experience here, this community that only God can create, and you hold on to it, and you say, there has to be something else going on here, and that's why the third approach to this matters so much, guys. 
two approaches. And see, and everybody wants to put us in two different camps. Oh my goodness, is that not the world today, right? The first camp over here. Ignore the Bible. Embrace science. Ignore the Bible. Embrace science, right? And then over here. Okay? Embrace the Bible. And just ignore science. And the problem is that both of these ways to approach this are wrong because they do a huge disservice to us and to Scripture. Here's how I put it in my notes, and I want to read all of this very, very clearly because I think this is so important. The book of Genesis and modern science are neither enemies nor friends. It is not a one or the other approach. They are two different ways of describing the world according to the means available to the people who lived at those different times. So listen, this is clear. I want to be very clear on this. To insist that the description of the sky in Genesis 1 must conform to contemporary science doesn't do the Bible and the people who were inspired to write it, justice. See, in the ancient world, people had views about the world around them. And and those views get reflected in Genesis. And if we can understand that, some of the conflict about this stuff kind of begins to subside. But to be able to get to this kind of understanding, we have to learn how to read the Bible in a little bit different way. So here's, here's a way that I've been talking about this recently, is that one of the problems that we have is that we try to read the Bible literally because we think that we understand what it means to read it literally. But to actually read it literally, we have to read it literarily. You follow me? To read it literally, we have to understand how to read it literarily. We have to say this specific section had a reason to the people who wrote it. It's a certain kind of literature. The Bible is full of poems. It's full of songs, letters, and history. It's a collection of books. It isn't just something that dropped onto your grandma's coffee table. It was put together by people over thousands of years as they experienced a relationship with God. In some reason, God allows these people to share their experience in the way that they understand it, and they begin to share that with others. And people look and they say, hey, that that kind of reflects the experience that I've had with God. And they begin telling these stories, and they tell the story, and they tell the story, and they tell the story. And this absolutely inspired book, a book inspired by people and their relationship with God, becomes this incredibly beautiful, diverse book. Where people begin to explain the circumstances and things, that the way that God has reached in and touched their lives. It's absolutely incredible when we begin to see it that way. Because what we do then is, we, we don't take away the humanity of Scripture. See, sometimes what we do is we look at Scripture and we say, well, I read it literally. Oh, you do? 
Because then you start reading it, and you go, see this, and this, and this, and this, and you go, but what about the people who are a part of that? What about how God inspired them and were a part of it? Can you imagine, I mean, taking that away from us today? If you wrote a letter to someone, and you explained a way that you experienced God, and then someone just completely removed you out of that equation, they'd say, well, that was my story. That was something I understood. So we have to at least begin there to read it literally. We, and we can, we can have all kinds of conversations about inspiration and how God inspired people to write and all of those things. But we have to come to this place of understanding the literature aspect and putting the people who wrote back in because this causes us to ask great questions. Like who? What? Where? When? How? And absolutely one of the most important questions, especially a place like this, why? Why did they write this? What are they trying to teach us about themselves and their understanding of God? Listen to this. As they saw it, if you read that verse again, as they saw it, this firmament was protection. Think about it. God creates And he separates the water below from the water above. And if he doesn't separate that water above, there is nothing left. The water comes crashing down and all of creation is destroyed. This is why it's very interesting when people start to talk about things like the flood and Noah's Ark. There are people who have theories, and it's very interesting stuff, and they say, well, God removed the firmament, which is how it was able to rain all like that, and how all the destructive forces happening. That's some pretty interesting stuff. That would be an interesting conversation and a dialogue to have with someone very humbly, right? What an interesting theory. But can we agree on something here that how they understood it, whether it existed or not, what they believed was it was protection. It was protection from what was above. See, they were incapable of holding back the waters. These human beings look and they go, what would we do? How, what would we do with this? How, how do we protect ourselves? And they would say things like, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Look at what you have created and what you've been able to do. When I was walking on those trails with Emily, I was walking around looking at the sandstone. And I'm looking at it going, how did this happen? How did this get created? This is absolutely amazing. We can't do this. If you came in there with a bunch of human tools and had people going through with all sorts of stuff, you couldn't recreate what was in Turkey Run or Brown County. There's something beautiful about this. And I said, that's why I can't use my technology to capture a picture of it, because it just doesn't work. The only way that I can capture a picture of this is with the most ancient way that I know how, my eyes. That I can look at this and go, this is beautiful. And all I can do is remember it. And then you try to say words. You've ever walked off the edge of a, a canyon and you're sort of looking out. And what, what comes to mind? What words do you use? Do you describe, well, when the glaciers came through here and they began to settle? The, you might use that language, but your first reaction is, oh. Like that's the first reaction of good science. Wow. Wow. This is incredible. In those moments yesterday with my daughter and my mom, we worshiped. 
as we walked through and said, look at this. Look at the work of his hands. This is incredible. This is the kind of language that the people were using when they were writing this. I told you before that Genesis 1 is written in the style of a poem. It's Hebrew poetry. And when you write poetry, you don't use words that you're trying to write exact. Genesis 1 was not written by an engineer. I'm sorry, engineers. It was written by an artist. And he used the language that was available to him as he looked around and he began to describe the world. We find similar language throughout all of Scripture. Poems and songs and stories and teaching. And what they do is they reflect a growing understanding of God. An absolutely growing understanding of who God is. And this is where this gets cool. I want us to walk through some passages of Scripture. Because there's one thing that continued from the very beginning all the way through these passages. Is God, I need you. I need your protection. I need your goodness and your grace. Listen, listen to these passages. These are amazing. If we just jump, just, 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 a, just a, a book later. Exodus 14, okay? Verses 21 and 22. The Israelites had been freed from slavery in Egypt. Listen how this, listen what this says. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. <laughs> Doesn't that sound incredibly familiar? God separated the waters one from the other and gave them dry land to live on, to move on, to go where they go, and they felt God's protection. And there are people who say, well, maybe that didn't happen. I mean, you think Moses really raised a staff and the waters parted, right? And the science person over here goes, that sounds like not believable. And then this guy over here looks at the scientist and he goes, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you don't know what you're talking about because you're not a man of faith. That's the problem. You know, the Neil looks back at him and he says, I'm not even having this conversation because you're just stupid. Right? This is what happens. Then they all start yelling at each other because this is the world that we live in. Somebody in the middle has to go, you both don't know what you're talking about because you're missing the whole point of the story. The point of the story is that God protected his people and that this was passed on from generation to generation to generation. If I stand up here and go, I believe that Moses put his hand out and God separated the waters, that's what I want to believe and that is my faith. And if you say, well, I'm not sure that really happened, but you know what? I believe in God's hand of protection. Man, we can have a dialogue because we are worshiping the same God, guys. We can worship together. We can pull these two sides and go, stop fighting. You don't know what you're talking about. You're missing who God is. Now, listen, listen how this goes on. I love this stuff, guys. Psalm 511, we're going to jump even forward. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Oh, and then Psalm 91, listen to this, this is so cool. Whoever dwells in the shelter, this is David being pursued by his enemies. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, do you think he could say any of that if he had been told this story by his parents and his grandparents? who said God has always been a God of refuge. So when you face that kind of time, God
God will protect you. And David says, yes, I'll make this story my own. He is protecting. And then listen to the language he uses. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Now, real quick aside, I have never heard anyone say, if you don't see God as a bird, you're not taking the Bible literally. Because obviously God protects you under his wings with his feathers. What do we do? We say this is colorful language. This is poetic language. This is what people do when they don't have any other way to describe who God is. And it's just another way in the journey as people try to describe an incredibly indescribable God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic. Look at the work of your fingers. Look at the way that you are able to save and protect all of us. It's incredible. It's beautiful. Which brings us to the words of Jesus. And I know we're we're getting time here, but listen to this. Because the people who said, well, I like Jesus. I'm not sure about all that creation stuff. I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about this. You know, even the scientist over here, he's going, I don't know about this faith thing, right? And maybe we can all agree on Jesus. And listen to how Jesus puts this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry? I'm sorry. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now stop right here real quick. When I got up this morning, I did not get out of bed, buck naked, sorry for the image, and go, Lord Jesus, I commend this body you have created well to you. God, I'm going to walk out that door and I'm going to trust that you will clothe me. Because if I did, guys, I would have walked in here buck naked. And you, at that point, and you should, you would have said, I'm out. There is an exit point for everybody. That right there, that's my exit point. Now, some of you might have stuck with me and I commend you. But I also am worried about you. Nobody this morning got up and went, all right, God, clothe me for the day. Is Jesus being literal? No. No. He's hearing the stories. He's helping us to understand this today. For that is how God clothes the grass of the field. Just here today and tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? So do not worry, say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The people who have no trust in God. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, don't worry. (laughs) From the very beginning, God had this. In the situation you face, God has this. For the ancient peoples looking around the world, a very scary world, God has this. For David, who is running from Solomon, God has this. 
for you and whatever you are facing in your life. God has this. I need a God who is bigger than the problems that I am facing. I need a God who I can run to, I can find shelter in. I know that I won't literally be under his wing, but I know I can run to him. That's the language I want to use about God. They saw God. He didn't just create, guys. He loved. <laughs> this, this is why Genesis is so powerful. Every other creation story, every other creation story in the ancient Near East, the, everything else is sort of by accident. It's a result of some kind of cosmic war or something that happened. This is the God who creates and then says, and I love my creation, and I'm going to protect my creation. And then throughout Scripture, people said, that is the God I want to serve. So today, we're going to sing a song as we close. And this song is language that helps us understand the God of love and protection. Amber, would you come pray, and then we'll sing this together. Let's stand, guys. God, we say thank you. Thank you for how we've heard the stories of people who are inspired to explain how they experienced your protection, God. How they stood in awe of all the things that you created and how powerful and majestic. God, we pray for continued growth in how we understand you and how we understand the messages that we are given in the Bible. Through these words that we sing, God, we hope it pleases you. Thank you for this time this morning. Amen.